Hello, and welcome to today's seminar on the science behind COVID-19. I'm Chelsea Farrell, the Assistant Director of the Lakshmi Mittal and Family South Asia Institute at Harvard University. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce the moderator of today's panel, Dr. Jennifer Leaning. Dr. Leaning is Professor of the Practice of Health and Human Rights at the Harvard Chan School of Public Health and a Senior Fellow at the Harvard FXB Center. Dr. Leaning, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you very much, Chelsea, and a warm welcome to all of you in the audience. Our next speaker is um, Professor Carolyn Bucky. Professor Bucky joined Harvard School of Public Health in the summer of 2010 as an assistant professor of epidemiology and was promoted to associate professor in 2017. The Bucky Lab uses mathematical models and data science to understand the mechanisms driving the spread of infectious diseases. There are many questions I could ask you, Caroline, but let me begin with um, this one. Could you explain why social mobility and migration are so critical to understand the epidemiology of transmittable disease while also speaking to the notions of crowds and diseases? Because your models are aggregate ones, and yet you have many insights you can derive from those models about what is actually happening on the ground. Um, yes, uh, thanks, thanks for having me. So um, just like uh, Victoria studies how viruses get between cells, uh, infectious disease epidemiologists study how pathogens spread between people and through populations. And a lot of the work that we do in my lab is actually working with policymakers on questions of resource allocation. So where should I be sending my drugs or bed nets in the case of malaria? Which populations need them? When to expect um, outbreaks, for example, of dengue or other, other pathogens? Um, and so those questions are fundamentally spatial in nature. So you have to know where all of the diseases are and where your populations at risk are. Um, and so I think uh, the human mobility drives a lot of the spatial patterns of disease spread. Um, and so a lot of the work that we've been doing is trying to understand human migration patterns that are relevant for the spread of infectious diseases using different kinds of data. Uh, often the mobility patterns are the piece of the puzzle that's missing when you're trying to understand the risk of um, imported infections and the likelihood that a disease will spread from between populations. So for a long time, we've been working with mobile phone companies to use aggregated mobility data to understand those patterns of, of the population moving around. Um, and we've been working for a long time to make sure that those data are aggregated and they uh, conform to privacy protocols um, so that there's no possibility of re-identification of individuals and the data is safe, um, which I should say is a, is a big distinction between those kinds of analyses and, for example, contact tracing um, apps for, where it's individual level data is the name of the game. We are dealing with aggregated data on a population level to try to understand broad patterns of movement between places. And of course, things like seasonal migration and mobility are very important for infectious disease outbreaks. And indeed, we've seen in, in this outbreak, the travel for the Lunar New Year uh, spread the disease um, significantly leading up to the major outbreak in Wuhan. 
Um, and we will continue to see those types of large scale movements impact uh, the spread of disease in general and COVID-19 in particular. Um, of course, Jennifer, that's where we've overlapped because um, large scale population movements are important for, for other kinds of natural disasters and, and how to provide aid to people, where to, how to know where everybody is. Um, I think that there's an important distinction between endemic infectious diseases like malaria um, versus emerging infectious diseases like COVID-19. So in the context of, a, of an endemic pathogen where we have diagnostics, we have treatment, we have prevention options, when we're using these kinds of approaches, we're asking the question, okay, well, where do I send my bed nets? I already know what to do and I already know how to monitor the number of infections that are happening in my population. Where do I, you know, how do I act? In the case of an emerging infectious disease about which we don't know very much, and uh, I totally agree with Victoria that there's an, been an incredible amount of science done in a, in a very short amount of time to understand what this, what this virus is, how it's related to other coronaviruses, um, and so on. But still, in the, in the early days of the outbreak, there were many, many uncertainties about the basic epidemiological parameters of this pathogen. And that meant that um, a lot of the efforts to model how it might spread and what we might do about it were riddled with uncertainties um, that were really basic science uncertainties. Things like, how long does it take from getting the disease in my system to having symptoms? And how can I spread the disease to other people in that time period before I know I'm infected? A major uncertainty is how many people have the infection and they have no symptoms at all. And so they are spreading the disease in the community and, and we don't know about them. Um, some of these basic parameters have made it very difficult to assess what's going to happen with the spread. Um, and of course, we've seen uh, that it spread very quickly, first out of the, the central um, hotspots of the epidemic through international travel to our major cities. And then subsequently, it spread dramatically within communities. Um, and, and of course, there's a very strong um, risk uh, associated with elderly populations and other underlying comorbidities. Again, those epidemiological features we knew early on, but we're still refining what the overall fatality rate's going to be, how dangerous this virus is. And again, that will help us with our, our planning. In the early stages of this outbreak, in the absence of drugs, in the absence of a vaccine, which we won't have for a long time, a year, a year and a half, um, the, the, one of the only responses that you can have to try and control the spread of a disease like this that's directly transmitted between people um, is, un, is using non-pharmaceutical interventions. And the world has largely adopted social distancing or physical distancing interventions uh, to try to slow down the spread of the disease. So uh, shelter in place, um, interventions, closing schools, stopping large gatherings, these kinds of approaches are some of the only ways to stop the epidemic from spreading out of control and overwhelming our health system and causing a huge amount of mortality. Now, that links back to my previous work because, of course, what that means is that people stop traveling around as much. And in some cases, travel restrictions have also been imposed, quite severe ones, to try to limit the spread of the virus. So one of the issues with that is that it's very hard to measure the efficacy of those interventions in the absence of data. 
Uh, and so the um, approaches that we've taken in the past using aggregated mobile phone data to, to look at you know, general patterns of spread um, of, of mobility that you can link to the spread of disease. We have um, started to, to do the same thing here where we're just monitoring how much people are traveling in their communities on quite a coarse spatial scale. Um, and that's going to provide us not only with one of the only ways to measure what's working and you know, how much reduction in mobility do we need in order to prevent how much transmission of, of the virus, um, but also as societies um, get through this very first part of the, of the first wave of the epidemic and, and start to ask how to open up at least a little bit um, so that people can retain their, their opportunities for livelihoods and feeding their families and so on. We need to be able to monitor uh, what's going on in response. And if we don't have that data linking um, the, the intervention to the number of people that end up in the hospital, then we won't be able to do that in an evidence-based fashion. So, um, so we've been trying to, to to kind of uh, use those data in a way that informs, can inform policy and help us think through what's going to work because we will have to, we will potentially have to start opening up in advance of any pharmaceutical interventions, which, which poses a very big risk. If we look back at um, the 1918 influenza pandemic that killed so many, in many cases, when places started to uh, um, think that it was safe, uh, there was an enormous resurgence and a massive second wave, which in some cases killed many more people than the first wave. So we really need to be very careful when we're thinking about how to implement non-pharmaceutical interventions, try and gather data that we can, that we can systematically link to the epidemiology um, and then make sensible decisions. And those decisions are, I think, from the epidemiological perspective, we're seeing the epidemics, um, the, tra the trajectory of epidemics is very different in different places. These are local problems. And so the local context is very important when we, when we try to think through what types of interventions we might need. Different areas are at different stages of the epidemic. Some are only just beginning, some are way into their first wave. Um, and the decision about how you combine different interventions in the local context is going to be uh, is going to be challenging because the epidemiology itself, the contact rates that underlie uh, the spread of disease are going to be very dependent on, on the, the place um, that you're talking about. So I'll, I'll stop there um, just to say that, you know, as we, as we move ahead and think about uh, how interventions should be informed by data and by models, it's really key that we recognize that although the science is going really fast, there's still a lot of uncertainty. And although we have to make decisions with, uh, with incomplete data, um, it's important to keep in mind that there's still basic parameters that we don't know and, and we're gonna have to be adaptable in our interventions and, and planning.